Amazing. Thank you so, so much to everybody for joining this Friends of the British Overseas Territories event uh, today. I'm super excited for us to get involved in this conversation. Uh, we're going to be talking a bit about conservation in the British Overseas Territories and exactly what that looks like. The UK uh, Overseas Territories are a fantastic and diverse set of islands, as we all know. But you know, the question of how we can actually protect their fragile environments and their species continues to be a question that we um, don't necessarily always know the answer to. Um, so my name is Reem Ibrahim and I am the events coordinator and spokesperson here at the Friends of the British Overseas Territories or FOTBOT is our acronym. Uh, if you've got any questions throughout the entire event, pop them into the chat box and we will be able to answer them at the end. Uh, joining me today for this fantastic webinar is the wonderful Amdeep Sangera, who is from the uh, Marine Conservation Society. The Marine Conservation Society's UK Overseas uh, Territories uh, Conservation Officer is his title. Uh, so for over 20 years, the Marine Conservation Society have been working in the Caribbean UK Overseas Territories on uh, species conservation. Their key focus now is actually supporting their Caribbean partners in significantly improving the management of their existing marine protected areas, so the MPA networks. Um, so we're going to be hearing from Amdeep about their current conservation projects as well as all of their future endeavours, and I'm super excited to hear all about that. So Amdeep, without further ado, you can take it away and you can share your screen. All right. Well, thank you, Reem, and friends of the British Overseas Territories for inviting me to give this talk. And for everyone that's given up their time to, um, to um, hear this talk. So I'm just going to share my screen right now. Uh, are people seeing the screen? Yeah, we can see the screen. OK, I'm just going to. There you go. So as um, Reem said, I'm. I work for the Marine Conservation Society um, as their UK Overseas Territories Conservation Officer. And I've had the absolute pleasure of um, working in the Caribbean Territories since 2008. And, you know, there is a lot of conservation work that is going on in the territories, as I'm sure you know. So this is just one perspective, basically, of the type of work that we're doing. So I'm from the Marine Conservation Society. So we're essentially a UK-based charity, really fighting for cleaner, better protected and healthier oceans, ones that we can all enjoy, um, just like those people in that picture right there. And um, we actually have an arm of work, which is all about ocean recovery. And that is where the Caribbean UK Overseas Territories work sits. And our work in the Caribbean um, Overseas Territories it started in 2002, basically. It was um, a UK government-funded um, study to assess the status and conservation of marine turtles in all five of the Caribbean territories. Um, I then joined in 2008 when the Turks and Caicos Islands government uh, took on the recommendations from that initial project in 2002 and, and basically initiated a, a full-scale project to understand their turtle fishery and turtle conservation. Um, and that's where I came in. And, and so basically, just very quickly, this, this Turks and Caicos Islands Turtle Project is, is really a flagship project of ours. So it had 
scientific aspects to it. Um, we are flipper tagging and recapturing marine turtles in the wild. I, along with um, departmental staff from the government of the Turks and Caicos Islands, were assessing the turtle fishery as well. Um, we also were doing satellite tracking to try and better understand the movements, the residential kind of habits, the migratory habits of, of turtles that reside in TCI waters. And complementing this science, our expertise really is stakeholder engagement and we use the community voice method, which is the documentary film method, which reaches deep into communities, tries to understand their needs, um, their leaves, their, their kind of ambitions regarding a certain issue. For example, in this case, it was to do with turtles and their management. And we then show that film across the islands to gather wider stakeholder inputs. And that is then amalgamated with the biological sciences to, to develop a conservation plan that hopefully is not only good for the species in question, in this case, turtles, but for the community too. And from this project, um, the Turks and Caicos Islands, we've now expanded where we're working pretty much across all of the five Caribbean overseas territories. And it's not just turtles, it's sharks and um, habitats. But really, um, I think a key thing of our work is that we ensure that those local views, um, opinions and values of the communities that we work with and that are most likely going to be affected by conservation interventions, they've got a seat at the table and their voices are combined with the science to make the conservation um, solution holistic. Okay. So yeah, just I'm sure a lot of people know about, about the UK overseas territories, but just just to be sure, here's a map um, of the Caribbean, and there are the four Caribbean overseas territories where we work. Um, the other Caribbean territory is Cayman Islands. We don't we don't work there on the ground, but we do support them um, working with the UK government on the Blue Belt program. So in the Turks and Caicos Islands. British Virgin Islands and Montserrat, we, we run uh, marine turtle projects with the University of Exeter and local partners, including NGOs and governments. And in, in Anguilla, we've got a, a current shark conservation project happening right now. But this, this presentation is all going to be about uh, the sea turtle work that we do in, in the Caribbean UK overseas territories. So I just thought I'd give a very quick overview of, of sea turtles um, before we start going into the, the nature of the work. So um, as you may know, sea turtles, um, they're air breathing reptiles and they're, they're long lived. Um, they, you know, they can take up to 20, 30 years to actually mature. But once, once they get to that maturity stage, um, they can go on to live up to 70, 80, 90 years old if allowed to. Um, and they've also got really complex life cycles, which we've started to really um, understand in the last couple of decades with the fantastic science that's been involving. Um, and these involve huge migrations. They, they involve um, a lot of time spent in what were known as home territories, especially adult turtles and those, and those teenage turtles. And then we know that their um, turtles do these epic migrations um, can be hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles back to their natal breeding grounds to breed. Um, and so what sea turtles do we have in, in the Caribbean and in the Caribbean UK overseas territories? Well, well there are four species in, in the Caribbean 
You've got the green turtles, hawksbills, leatherbacks, and loggerheads. And at the bottom, um, you'll see there's two other species. These are the Ridley turtles, the Kemp Ridleys and the Olive Ridleys. Um, you don't really get them in the Caribbean. If you do, they're probably just, they're very rare um, passerbys. You normally get them in the Gulf of Mexico and North America and, and South America. Okay, this is the um, this is a green turtle, um, so named for the for the color of its fat, and um, they're actually um, herbivores, and you'll generally find them on seagrass beds like this juvenile green turtle in the Turks and Caicos Islands. And you can really see like wh where green turtles have been because um, you can almost see that the sea turtle, sorry, that the seagrass has been cropped by um, by the green turtles kind of teeth and, and jaws. So if you're ever swimming across a seagrass bed and you kind of notice that there's it's sort of, the seagrass has been almost um, just like harvested or, or uh, I, I should say almost mown, stick around because you might actually see a few green turtles. And um and the Caribbean UK overseas territories are you know really endowed with with these seagrass habitats, in, including wetlands as well. Here's a picture of Middle Caicos and East Caicos in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Ideal habitat, you know, seagrass, lagoonal habitat for um for juvenile and subadult sea turtles to reside. And not just in the Turks and Caicos Islands, but in many of our UK overseas territories in the Caribbean, you've got similar habitats that are supporting uh, green turtles. Um, at the same time, you have you have a lot of reef structures as well. Um, and this is uh, another island uh, in the Turks and Caicos Islands called Grand Turk. Um, and you know, when wherever you get like reef reef mosaics like like we have here, that's where you generally find hawksbill turtles, which um, is on your screen now. Unfortunately, these have been um, historically hunted for for their for their stunning shells, um, but you can generally find them on reefs eating um, small sponges. And it's not it's not hard and fast rule. Sometimes you find hawksbills on seagrass beds. Sometimes you find green turtles on on reefs as well. And as you can kind of see in that photo, you can kind of see the seagrass um, almost bordering the reefs. So you can kind of see these habitats uh, a lot of the times and um, they create these mosaics. Um, the next turtle, the leatherback, which nests in the, the BBI and uh, anguilla. I mean, really, this is um, is the real kind of mariner of the turtle world. You don't really see these turtles in in shallow kind of coastal waters. They're in the deep pelagic seas. I mean, they can weigh up to like nine hundred and fifty kilograms. They can dive up to like one thousand one hundred meters, and they are the most uh, widely distributed marine turtle there is. They're absolutely fascinating creatures, and the other turtle is the loggerhead turtle um so known for its huge head as you can kind of see here and they use that to crush uh clams uh shellfish lobsters uh, conks well, that's their main food and generally there's big nesting populations in florida there's also big nesting populations in south america so really whenever you see the loggerheads invariably they're, they're mostly just passing through um, so next, I'm going to talk a bit about um, the, the kind of scientific research which has been happening in the region. 
and just to and give you a sense of how well these um, species are doing in the Caribbean. Uh, so the first one is a hawksbill, um, and that's critically endangered. And um, these are nesting graphs, basically nesting densities. Um, and, and those five graphs are, are of nesting beaches in Mexico. And you can kind of see they're quite variable, that they're up and down. Um, but that graph on, on the bottom right, um, you can kind of see the number of nests um, peaks at 2006. Sorry, this is in the US Virgin Islands. And then their nesting populations kind of go down. So um, the hawksbill, in the, in the Caribbean, its nesting populations are variable, as you can kind of see. And we're not talking thousands of nests here, we're talking hundreds. And that's why it's uh, critically endangered. Okay, the next uh, species is the leatherback. And, kind of, and let's have a look how they're, how they're doing in terms of nesting wise. So in Florida, um, as you can kind of see, their nests have been doing pretty well, actually. Um, they started off quite low in the late 80s, but they've had a bit of the, they're recovering now. Um, there's a bit of dip in 2017, but they're looking at about 500 nests a year. But if you look at uh, one of the bigger rookeries for leatherbacks in the Western Atlantic, French Guyana, while they were doing uh, pretty well in about 2008 and 9, um, they've plummeted there. And, and there really is an issue with, with leatherbacks. Uh, we're not sure exactly what's happening with the populations, um, if it's um, you know variable uh, food such as jellyfish, um, or if there's there's other kind of threats, potentially bycatch, we're not sure, but there's, there's certainly an issue that needs looking at. And they're, they're globally endangered as well and, and declining. Um, however, the green turtles are doing really well. Um, so the top graph is is uh, nesting um, number of nests in Florida, and and you can kind of see that that's about thirty thousand uh, nests a year recently, with a peak of uh, about forty forty thousand a few years ago. Um, and also in Mexico, you you can see that there's you know hundreds if not thousands of nests there, and the bottom graph is Costa Rica as well. It's interesting to kind of see that Mexico and Costa Rica do seem to be having a, a, a downward trend or, or, or a tapering off, as does happen in, in populations of, of wildlife. You know, they can't always keep that kind of level of growth. A lot of it is to do with um, their habitats and, um, you know, the density of those habitats and how much they can support. But regardless, um, you know, there are in the in the in this region, there are millions of of green turtle hatchlings that are crawling out of nests um, in these locations and finding their way into the deep sea and then coming back to reside um, in in the Caribbean, including the, the Caribbean overseas territories where the swathes of seagrass, seagrasses and, and wetlands are ideal habitat for them for them to grow and mature. And and in the um, in the Caribbean, uh, green turtles are least concerned. Yeah, so they're they're doing pretty well. Okay. So I just mentioned um, those green turtles. Um, you know, when, when they actually um, hatch out of the nest, they invariably go into the into the deep sea, the oceanic gyre in the Atlantic, uh, where there's very few predators, and um, they're basically in mats of sargassum 
um, they get to about a dinner size plate um, and they then come back into the coastal shores. But however, um, there are a lot of threats um, affecting turtles and their survivability. Excuse me. And the first one is, is habitat degradation. And so this is a photo taken of a juvenile green turtle in the British Virgin Islands. And you can kind of see it's a, it's a severely degraded reef habitat. Um, and a lot of that has been caused by climate change, um, bleaching, um, rising uh, sea temperatures, um, hurricanes, um, also kind of destructive fishing practices as well. But so that that's um, that's a definite issue, as well as development on land as well, um, with that kind of uh, detritus um, washing into the sea when it rains and kind of forms a, a layer over the reefs can also be very damaging as well to water quality too. And as these turtles do get bigger, they'll start nesting on beaches. And for that, they need to be dark and quiet. So the, the turtles um, don't get afraid and um, you know potentially abandon their nests. But what we do see in the territories in the Caribbean and, and, and wider afield is that there's a lot of development happening. Um, and this, this can be linked to tourism as well, be it uh, resorts um, and not only on land developments, there's uh, the port terminals and, and cruise ship terminals. So yeah, this is um, a, a you know real a real threat to to the habitats that these turtles you know uh, need essentially. And big one, which I kind of mentioned before, is climate change. Um, so the the sex of turtles are actually um, uh, determined by temperature, and we think it's about twenty nine degrees. Um, it's kind of it's it's kind of balance point. If, if if the temperatures in, in the actual nest of the beach increase over 20 then you start to get uh, more females, so a feminization of the population. If, if it's less than 29 degrees, um, you, you get a skewed male population. But with our warming world, uh, we are now starting to see in other parts of the world, um, marine turtle populations heavily skewed to females. And I think there was a study in Australia uh, where a lot of the the nests, the hatchlings that were coming out of the, um, these beaches, these nests were like almost 99% female. So what can we do? Well, we need a, we, we essentially need to protect this matrix of, of habitats, be it the beaches, seagrass beds, reefs, uh, wetlands. And, and only through that, you know, with close consultation with communities, because we, you know, we understand that these habitats are, are vital to blue economies and, and the fisheries of, of Caribbean territory communities. The developing plans, um, only through that then do you start to build resilience um, in your habitats um, against uh, you know, climate change or the ever-increasing threat of these hurricanes, um, which are only likely to become more frequent and, and likely more violent in the future. Um, we also work with um, a lot of fishing communities as well in, in, the, in the territories. And it can be said that um, the turtle fisheries are also um, a, a threat. However, our experience is that these are, these are mostly our artisanal fisheries that go out on day boats, uh, you know, variably in the morning and come back in the, in the afternoon. 
and um, they're really targeting economically important fisheries such as lobster, sorry, uh, Caribbean spiny lobster, queen conch fish, uh, and they really have a um, small scale turtle fisheries. Um, and this is just a, a map of um, the, the extent of, of turtle fisheries in the region. Um, and, and those um, areas in green, that's where countries have completely prohibited um, turtle take. But if you think about Nicaragua, which takes 8,000 green turtles a year, uh, you know, these, these territories um, in the Caribbean are, are taking really you know, tiny amounts. And, and while they're not eco economically important, these turtle fisheries, they're, they're culturally important to, to the people. Um, it is it is waning, that, that kind of relationship with turtles. It was something that was historically a lot stronger before kind of um, the globalization of, of, of food from the states uh, came into the Caribbean, but it's still important to those communities um, and their voices certainly need to be, to, need to be heard. Um, and, and so that's kind of an overview of, um, you know, our, our turtles basically, and the kind of status and the extent and their threats in the Caribbean. And um, just going to talk a bit about um, our work and the, the, the kind of skills that um, and, and kind of services that we're bringing to the Caribbean territories to help them with their marine management needs. Um, so, yeah, essentially, our, our, uh, as I said, our work really with turtles in the territories is to, is to develop conservation plans, um, you know, that look to protect these types of turtles, um, the larger size classes and breeding turtles. But 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 definitely acknowledge um, uh, you know cultural uses economic uses of turtles in these islands um, to acknowledge that and and to develop plans uh, you know that that kind of reflects community values too. And our projects are multidisciplinary. Um, we, we we provide the social science expertise, and we work with uh, with University of Exeter as well as local scientists. So. In front of you on the left, that's Dr. Shannon Gore from the British Virgin Islands. She's a turtle scientist. And on the right-hand side uh, is a fisher from one of the islands of um, the BVI called Anagada. And a lot of our work involves um, local scientists and the fishing community in actually carrying out the research in terms of it being transparent and then trying to use the local knowledge of those resource users that, that you know, use those resources, but to have them in the processes too. And so, as I said, with the science, um, I talked a bit about this before, we've been using this documentary film method called the community voice method. Um, and we've used it in the Turks and Caicos to really good effect um, in this turtle project. And Reem, um, if you can remind me, I'm, I'll talk a bit about the impacts of this project in the Q&A. Um, but uh, essentially, it's it's all about fil filming local perspectives on a particular issues, like, like I said. I mean, invariably film about 30 people um, that form a cross-section of society and that kind of are, are, are related to a particular issue. So here we're filming somebody in the British Virgin Islands who, who strongly uh, uh, wants the protection of, of turtles um, in, in the islands. And at the same time, we interview people that have different values, such as fishers who have been who fish turtles for Start, you know, for, for generations. And not only do we try and um, interview these two demographics, we try and open it up as well. Um, we, we know that women um, have, you know, 
really incredible insights into this and they need to be part of the solutions as well as wider society and, and community champions. And essentially what we do, um, once we've filmed these 30 interviews about people talking about, you know, what they'd essentially want to see happen with the conservation of a species, we then um, transcribe everything um, and then we, we, we analyze the data and then we, we kind of see what themes are coming out. And then we try to incorporate them as fairly as possible into a film. And this is a recent film that we released um, uh, for our turtle project in, in the British Virgin Islands, which is all about how can you balance conservation and culture. And then we then go back to the islands where we show this film at workshops. Um, and essentially, this is at, at the beginning, we have a scientific presentation. So the stakeholders are kind of aware of the results that have come from the kind of bio biological aspects of the project. Um, then we show the film. And then really, this is where the, the magic happens. A lot of the times, um, these issues can be quite polarized, as we all know. And, um, you know, it could be perceived that particular issues, that there may be demographics that don't actually get on. But the way we do these films, um, we show that at the beginning of these films, everybody cares for the ocean. Everyone everyone wants to see it managed. Um, everyone relies on the ocean. And we then start to see that we're actually emerging from the same ground. And that's that, that helps to kind of dissolve the polarities and actually get people to start talking and developing solutions like we have here in Montserrat. And then, and then from this, from from these workshops, uh, we then develop conservation action plans and recommendations that factor in, you know, community values, but also the scientific research. And then um, we submit recommendations. So um, we were about to submit recommendations on on how the British Virgin Islands can support turtle conservation and and, and turtle management. That should be done very soon. Um, we're also lucky enough to, to have been involved in a project in Montserrat, which was led by the government of Montserrat and the University of Exeter. And um, we've already uh, submitted recommendations. So we're very excited, hopefully, to see um, Montserrat having, you know, a really uh, an updated and, and quite, um, I suppose, quite modern and cutting edge turtle conservation action plan um, and, you know, for the region. In terms of next steps, um, you know, what's really good is that we can now expand our turtle work and use it working with local partners in the territories to to start thinking about bigger habitats. And, and we've got a project um, that's funded by the Darwin Plus initiative by the UK government. It's led by the RSPB and the Turks and Caicos Islands National Trust. And there we're, um, we're monitoring um, sea turtle habitats, um, as well as using the community voice method to kind of garner local opinion on how we can manage and protect um, the largest uh, wilderness in the Caribbean, the uninhabited wilderness, which is East Caicos. So very exciting film coming up. And so I'm just coming to the end. And a lot of people do ask me, look, you know, you know, what can we do? What can we do to support? So I would say, you know, please, um, please think about joining the Marine Conservation Society and, and donating to our overseas territory work. Um, there's something you can do immediately right now, which is reduce, reuse and cycle, and that will have a beneficial impact on, on, our, on our marine realm. And um, it's a summer, a lot of people have just come back from holidays, I imagine. 
And we've also got a resource on how to be turtle friendly while on holiday. And that's um, that's on our YouTube channel called Turtles in Trouble. So, yeah, I just want to say uh, that's the end. Uh, thank you very much for, for hosting me, Reem, and but, but, um, thank you all for, for listening to the presentation. I just wonder if there's any questions. Thank you so much, Amji. That was fantastic. I I mean, like, I really cannot emphasize how um, invaluable that kind of information is, but how, I mean, how fascinating the work is that you guys do. And I mean, of course, a huge well done to you, but also to the to the rest of the Marine Conservation Society for doing this incredibly important work. Um, yeah. I'm going to take advantage of the fact that I'm chairing this discussion and uh, ask the first question. Um, I wonder if you could tell me a bit more about um, these kind of community projects where you are engaging with the local community. Um, yeah. Obviously, you can talk a bit more about, you know, the community voice methods, but I'm also really interested in how you um sort of work with those local communities you spoke about the fisheries for example and that you know a lot of the time um these kind of turtle fisheries aren't economically important to the islands but they are you know culturally and socially important to the people there yes. um especially as a result of you know free trade with those with the with the us which means they don't necessarily need to um produce it themselves so how do you work with the communities and how do you emphasize the what i guess highlight the cultural importance over the economics that's a great question um and so when i started off at mcs um my actual role was actually based full-time in the Turks and Caicos Islands in the fishing capital of South Caicos. So I have to really give credit to the um, Marine Conservation Society, Turks and Caicos Islands government, Duke University, Duke University and the University of Exeter because it was really there, their methodology, which is all about immersing yourself into community, building trust with a fishing community that might initially um, be quite reluctant to engage on a turtle project just because it divides societies be it from the Caribbean and and, and the West you know because we've got different ideas on how they should be managed so that was it really it was me living in these communities you know full-time uh, for a couple of years um, getting to know the fishers which I'm happy to say uh, a lot of them are, are really good friends and and um you know, while you can be a researcher in these islands, I think I took it upon myself to to kind of dissolve that line and get involved in, uh, you know, community activities. So, for example, joining a, a a church band in the Turks and Caicos Islands, you know, getting involved in volunteering efforts. And, and you know, after a while, you start to become um, a member of the community. And after a while, people start opening up to you and then you start to see what's actually happening. So that's kind of how I... Did the research kind of anthropology uh type methods and yeah and that's also so when i was actually engaged with these communities there was a lot of um, hesitance to work with me so in the Turks and caicos islands it's 2009 and and the british government had taken over a direct rule at that point because i think there was um there was some mismanagement within the government. So it was quite a difficult time being um, uh, not only a, a scientist from the UK, being in the Turks and Caicos, but also working on turtles. But the community voice method, um, you know, it's actually quite, um, and for, for a lot of these fishers, they've never been engaged in policy processes. That they don't, they've never been actually asked about their opinion regarding how a particular fishery should be managed. And maybe it's a change that now, but 
certainly back then, um, it was it was very powerful method. So when these fishers actually started to uh, be encouraged and get involved in the filming, and then we actually showed this film, and it showed Turks Islanders talking about this issue, and not just Turks Islanders, but also um, people that from the wider Caribbean that live there, Haitian people, Dominicans. This community say saw actually, oh, these are these are our people, you know, and it helped to build trust, and and that 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 film um, actually helped me get a lot of trust because um, a lot of those fishers were very hesitant to actually engage with me, but once they sh- saw that film and they realised that they were being taken seriously and that their voices were being heard, um, we started to get a lot more participation, and and now you know um, so that. That, that project uh, resulted in recommendations to the TCO government on how to improve the turtle fishery, really trying to get protection for those larger size class turtles and that critically endangered species, the, the hawksbill turtle. That was in 2014, and, and I was in the Turks and Caicos last year, just evaluating how the, the, the turtle populations are doing there. And it's really interesting. Um, wherever I go now, the fishers are, um, it's really embedded in their um, psyche that you're not you're not to take these large turtles you should really focus on the smaller ones so that that's that's amazing you know and we're actually starting to see turtles nest in places where they haven't nested in in recent memory so this is really exciting and and it could be that we are starting to see the early signs of uh texas islands nesting populations now now recovering that's incredible sorry i i there's, there's other questions in the chat but um just to follow up on that how do you know if those, I mean, how do you test if those, if those um, species are actually nesting in the Turks and Caicos? I mean, how, how, how do you test for that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, so like a lot of the, the territory governments, um, they're, they're under-resourced, they're widely stretched. Um, and with the Turks and Caicos Islands, it's, it's a huge wide archipelago and a lot of the nesting beaches are remote on, on inhabited islands. It's very hard to, to get there uh, frequently to try and get a sense of you know accurate nesting densities but what we do is we try and get to these beaches when we can with a lot of our local partners and and the government officers and essentially you're looking at turtle tracks basically um and then from the turtle tracks you can actually tell which species has actually nested because the greens the leatherbacks um the hawks will have unique uh kind of nesting tracks and then um you can kind of tell from your eye um, if a turtle's nested because it's it's got a, a classic look of a lot of dug up sand, and um, you can just get you can just get a sense of it basically, and and to kind of verify, but very sensitively and very carefully, um, sometimes we dig, and if we do actually find turtle legs there, that's that that's the evidence really. But we have been seeing, um, um, you know, a lot a lot a lot of turtle nesting in 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 the Turks and Caicos Islands, um, and turtles will invariably come back every two weeks so once you start to see uh, kind of a lot of activity you can often you can still see uh, turtle tracks from uh, a few weeks ago and, and then you can kind of get a sense okay yeah that something's happening here that's incredible I mean that's just, that, that's so fascinating thank you um we've got a question from uh the honorable Claude Hogan in the in the chat from Montserrat he said, uh, thank you for your work with Exeter in Montserrat. Um, are your recommendations, do you like do you have any recommendations for legislation or policy or strategy? So, you know, as you know, as a politician, you know, what kind of um 
strategy strategies would you sort of try and implement to support that kind of conservation? Sure, and uh, thanks for that question, Honourable Claude Hogan. Hope you're doing well. I think it's a while ago since we last last met in um, Alderney. So, so the project, which is led by University of Exeter and Montserrat, that was all about developing a turtle action plan. Um, and so we we have uh, submitted uh, turtle fishery legislation, which is looking to update Montserrat's Turtle Act. And that is kind of still in, in the process. So unfortunately, I can't talk about that. And, and the action plan as well. So that's kind of focusing on having systematic monitoring happening of, of Montserrat's uh, nesting turtles and the, and, the, um, and the turtle populations in general. Um, it's, it's thinking about, you know, with, with, the, with threats such as uh, climate change, um, how can we look to mitigate them? Because a lot of those stunning beaches on Montserrat, especially on the west side, like Honourable Claude will know, woodlands beaches where they harbour quite a lot of um, turtle nests. Storms and hurricanes can totally wipe out those beaches and 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 that's it, you know, you've you've lost those eggs. So I think the plan's really trying to trying to see how we can kind of safeguard Montserrat's uh nesting turtle population for the future. As I say, it's it's still in kind of dis discussion and should be finalized very soon. And we'd be happy to to share that with, with everybody here. But one thing that's really uh been quite amazing actually coming out of this project um that Montserrat uh, for a very for a small island in the Caribbean it, it has a regionally significant turtle nesting turtle population so we're thinking about up to 530 green turtle nests are laid there every year so that kind of really adds the the, the value and, and conservation value of of the of Montserrat as well and, and what it kind of uh, contributes to the the overall health of regional turtle populations that's incredibly interesting. Do you know what sort of timeline you have for that project or are you not allowed to share any of that with us? Yeah, I mean, so basically uh, we are, we're in the we're kind of at the state, end now, basically, of our discussions with the Montserrat government and will be hopefully that action plan um, will be finalised. And then it's up to the government of Montserrat really to 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 put it, publicise it essentially and to celebrate it, which, you know, they rightly should. Um so uh, hopefully that can be done in the in the next few months. But um, you know, if if people are very interested in in learning about the the, the people of Montserrat, um, you know why they should why they should visit there, then I've just put in the link um, a link to the my MCS website where you can actually watch the the film that we did in Montserrat, which is all about gathering local views regards to turtle conservation. Um, and then it's not just about turtle conservation, it, it's people talking about why they they live in the, the places that they do, what, what they love about their islands and the territories, what the challenges are socially. Um, and I've also put in the chat um, the film that we created in the BVI as well, so I certainly recommend uh, people go and watch those. Thank you, thank you for putting that out there, and we can always um, send, send those links around as well. Thank you, that's really helpful. Um, 
we've got from, well, I mean, I guess from what you've said, Claude definitely has his work cut out for him as a result of the project. Um, so from Ben, we've got, he said, thank you for the talk and for your work. A quick question. How do you go about measuring actual impact from projects like these ones or the impacts due to emergency uh, recommendations, uh, sorry, emergent recommendations? Can it be hard to detach any observed changes from other concurrent processes, et cetera? Well, that's a really good question. So I think um, if, if you look at the community voice method um, at, at those workshops, we, we we have like feedback sessions afterwards where we try and get a sense of, you know, uh, what was the community's experience of that event. And that's been a really good guide of like what's working and what's not working and uh, and the impact. And, you know, I, I think one thing is um, if you're able to deliver on your project and you know you're able to uh, you know with the government of the caribbean territories develop these recommendations and ambitious action plans for such species i think i think that that can be also impactful as well but um like i say i, I, I kind of say uh, said previously with, with the territories being quite stretched um it can be can be difficult to kind of have that systematic monitoring to have um a, you know real true sense of the impacts of the work, and that's always going to be difficult. Um, so, if if I look at the Turks and Caicos Islands, and when we did that evaluation work there last year, as I said, um, I was on the fishing docks, and the the turtle fishery has really contracted compared to what it was, uh, you know, a decade ago. Um, I was interviewing not only the fishers but the community members, conservationists, other fishers. Um, and there was a real sense that, you know, not only turtle landings were, were, were reducing, but those large turtles, often breeding turtles, often uh, those that are nesting in the Turks and Caicos Islands, they were, it was a, they, they were rarely caught, hardly caught. People couldn't actually remember when these turtles um, had last been caught, and that that's impact, you know, uh, especially going in there in two thousand and eight, and 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 seeing how the turtle fishery was operating. I think if you look at Turks and Caicos, where there's, you know, um, this legislation's come in, um, you know, fishers are now committing and working towards catching the sustainable sizes. Those larger turtles aren't being caught and you're starting to see, you know, nesting levels um, increase. Yeah, you know, you're right. You can't say with 100% um, certainty that that is this is due to it. But it, it, I think it's, you, you can kind of join the dots, as it were, you know, and you can kind of say, yes, this does seem to this seem to be working, and I think Ben, yeah, that the, there have been other concurrent processes. So in the Turks and Caicos, you've huge levels of tourism that have happened, and there's a real demand now for other economically important fisheries such as conch and queen lobster. A lot of those turtle fishermen that I used to work with 15 years ago are saying, "We're just simply not interested in turtles." You know, there's more demand for for the tourist markets that want, you know, queen conch and, and lobster as well. So there are these other processes that are, are kind of happening, but necessarily doesn't mean that it's always going to be positive for the turtles. We're, we're in this shifting ecosystem as massive change happening, especially in the Caribbean region. So that's why we need that kind of like long-term monitoring. 
yeah, I guess that I guess that's particularly interesting for those sort of long-term projects because you've got to be monitoring the way that those ecosystems are changing in the long term. So that's particularly interesting. Ben also says, um, is the Marine Conservation Society doing or planning any further work in the overseas territories, perhaps as part of or beyond the involvement or contributions to the Great Blue Ocean Coalition, which he believes the MCS is a part of? Is the MCS part of the Blue, Blue, Co- uh, Blue Ocean Coalition? Yes, the Great Blue Ocean Coalition. Fantastic. And just so, um, yeah, that's that's a really good question, Ben. And just so everyone's um, aware, um, the Great Blue Ocean Coalition is made up of six UK-based uh, NGOs. We were initially called the Great British Ocean Coalition. And we worked with the UK government and specifically their Blue Belt programme, which is all about enhancing marine protection and management across the, sorry, across the whole of the UK overseas territories globally. And we kind of we kind of work on the, the the Caribbean aspect, and so our work with through the Great Blue Oceans, where we've lobbied UK government to to um, send resource and expand the Blue Belt program to the Caribbean, is is having a lot of impact. Uh, last year, the Turks and Caicos Islands joined the Blue Belt program, the first Caribbean territory to join this join the Blue Belt, which is fantastic news. Anguilla have joined this the program earlier this year. And um, if you go onto Twitter and you go onto uh, the Blue Belt Program's um, Twitter page, you'll see that they're in the Cayman Islands now, they're running a workshop all about what what Cayman Islands priorities are for the Blue Belt. And you know this is um, this is actually you know once in a generation funding really because the territories um, you know I've said a few times they are overstretched. They've got huge ocean spaces to deal with, um, and and simply just the threats they just don't have the capacity, uh, you know. How how would you deal with a category five five hurricane? You know, if if you're a, if you're a small island state, um, and and so the Blue Belt program is is you know incredible opportunity to support these territory departments, give them the resources that they rightly deserve and need. Um, there's a lot of manpower on offer. Um, there's also a lot of technical support that the Blue Belt is providing. Um, and so, yeah, this this is this is really important. And we kind of work at that interface between the Caribbean territory governments and and the UK government, trying to advise and, and lobby and, and support communications. And in terms of like our other future work, I think one thing that we've seen with the community voice method projects in in the Caribbean territories is that uh, fishermen repeatedly saying that um, they don't feel part of general fishery management processes in the island. They don't feel like their fisheries are, are, are valued. Um, you know, a, a fisherman back in, let's say, 20 or 30 years ago, they had a really high status in, in some of these Caribbean territories of, uh, you know, the providers of food. And and now um, that's kind of really plummeted. And it's often in, in, in places seen as a, a last resort, really. And so there's this real need um, not only to try and raise fishers and support their organisation and capacity building, but have them actually um, properly involved in not only fishery management processes, but also ocean conservation processes as well. So that's kind of um, that's kind of the direction of our work, really. You know, which is which has uh, evolved from our uh, current work in the territories. And how do you get the fishermen involved, or at least the fisheries, you know, as an industry as a whole? Um, how do you get them involved with conservation? I mean, how does that how does that work? And how, you know, if, if they're not necessarily on board with the same, t- you know, types of actions that you're doing with the with the larger and wider conservation projects, how do you get them involved with that? 
Yeah, sure. Well, I think um, not only do we kind of situate ourselves in these islands and get to know the fish fishery industry, but we're actually, you know, we're not against fishing. We think fishing is um, hugely important in 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 these territories, like the fishermen tell us. You know, if, on on the back of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and and you know regular hurricanes, food security is vital to these to these islands, and and fisheries are, are really important to that. And I think through the community voice method, where um, we take this common shared values approach, where all all values and opinions are listened to. And once people, even those from the fisheries sector, start to see that their kind of ideas, values, needs are actually being represented in the outputs, the recommendations, that that really helps to build trust. And a lot of our work is with the, the departments of the government, of the territory governments too. So in Montserrat, I was working with the, um, the Fisheries and Ocean Governance Unit. We just got back from a trip um, in the BVI working with the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries who are just an incredible department, you know, and without them, we would have got access to the fishers. So we're also kind of um, building on their relationships that these departments have as, as well. And I think through the methods and, and um, having open lines of communications, transparency as being honest as possible, I think that, that starts to help build the trust as well. That's fascinating. Thank you. And um, our, our William Thornton from from Potbot says, um, have you had any cooperation with other governments in the Caribbean in regard to turtle conservation? It's a good question. I'm trying to think now. So, yes, William. So um, we've done a lot of um, satellite tracking of, 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 of turtles. Uh, in the Turks and Caicos Islands, we satellite tagged um, a huge female green turtle that a local fisherman called Susie. Um, we stuck a satellite tr tracker on her and she did a 6,000 kilometre migration um, that went through many different Caribbean island range states, including the British Virgin Islands and Anguilla. And um, there's a lot, there's a regional mechanism for turtle conservation in the, in the Caribbean and through that, uh, you know, we were working or at least informing um, government um, officials, conservationists that, hey, you know, we're having these turtles come into your water. Um, so that's that that's kind of, you know, one way that we've been working with other governments. But you're right, it is a is a shared resource. Uh, certainly, you know, we do need to be, uh, you know, working collaboratively with other island states and a lot of the recommendations um that we that we actually develop, um, they're not novel measures. They're actually being used in other parts of the Caribbean. So we're taking learning as well from other other turtle fishers in the Caribbean too. So I, I think yeah, we're in touch with a lot of the, the turtle scientists. You know, uh, sharing learning, be it on a biological basis, be it on kind of social sciences, and I think th through these regional structures and conferences we can get together now and again and, and, and share our expertises and, and and support collaboration. I hope that's uh makes sense. That's particularly interesting. So it sounds like it's a combination of um sort of sharing best practices with with experts that have already been working on these kind of these kind of issues, but yeah. also um taking advantage of those pre-existing relationships with communities that that those particular governments, but also those 
uh, particular experts have already established. So it's not as though you are sort of coming in and taking over these kind of conservation projects, but actually you're developing pre-existing relationships that have already um, sort of been around so that you're then obviously going to you know, obviously get the most efficient sort of strategy out of that in a way. Is that sort of a good summary of, of like the kind of strategy? Yeah, exactly. Like I say, you know, we've been working in the Caribbean territories for over 20 years. A lot of those people that we initially worked with are still in positions now. Mm. And they've been vital parts of, of, of our work, you know, uh, in getting uh, not only consent from the governments, but supporting uh, trusts with our, with our stakeholders and getting recommendations passed. And through them, you know, um, the region's quite small. We have been able to get connections, but also support their capacity as well and connect um you know turtle researchers in these territories to to the wider caribbean and support their capacity building so for example we, we've you know uh, took advantage of the darwin fellowship which is a fund that supports um i think it's master's level studies for for people from the uk territories and so that's another thing that, that we've we've also done as well you know that's, i mean that's really interesting how how long has that project been around for um, that's a good question. I, the Darwin Fellowship has, uh, it's been around for some many years. Um, and one thing that I, I keep hearing from um, a lot of people that are closely connected to it, to it that it's actually really um, underused. Oh, really? Yeah. And how do you, how do you accept applicants? Right. Um, so I think if you were to go onto the Darwin Plus website and the Darwin Fellowship, there's there's guidance there. So I think um, MCS, we kind of acted as maybe sponsors or we or hosts of, of, of a student and, and the universities um, um, are also key partners. So I think we use the University of Exeter, uh, where we have one, um, a Montserratian woman, Vita Wade, who's actually there right now doing her master's. Um, so I think it's a combination of um, an organisation that can support the students, uh, almost be like a sponsor of sorts and, and, and having a university as well. But if anyone's interested, do go onto the Darwin Plus website and look up the Darwin Fellowship. Uh, you know, it's a really great initiative and I really recommend, you know, people take take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be many, many of the people listening now, but also our members that would uh, be particularly interested in that. So thank you. Um, we're, we're coming to the end now. Just to, just to finish off, I want you to talk maybe just a little bit about why these kind of conservation projects are so important and so vital um, to, to, the, to the British Overseas Territories. Could you tell me a little bit just in general why conservation is so important? Yeah, con- I mean, so... If- I don't know if everyone knows, but I think 94% of our unique biodiversity of the UK is actually resides in the UK overseas territories. Uh, you know, a lot of these, these are these are small islands which are, you know, are, you know, biodiversity hotspots in the main, but they're also susceptible to a lot of threats, uh, you know, be it from climate change, be it from pollution, disease, um, in invasive species. And, you know, from my time being there, you've got, you know, this incredible marine wealth, you know, really precious marine wildlife that reside in these incredible places. And at the same time, you've got, you know, just these fascinating communities that have had, you know, these relationships with, with the sea and, and with nature for a very long time. And, 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 and you know, in my experience, the seas are uh, fundamental to uh, the Caribbean OTs, not just for their blue economy, but for 
a sense of themselves you know it's in the psyche and the lifeblood of of the people you know often you go to these territories and you hear about island culture and it just something just clicks you know and you see that you know these the communities you know and the healthy marine environment they're they're interlinked so i think it's it's vital that that you know we support um the territories in in manager managing their incredible biodiversity not just for the biodiversity but for food security for the blue economy be it tourism uh you know we're we're in a situation now where um i mean climate breakdown and i think the territories are a real part in the solution by you know showing the way in terms of managing and protecting their blue you know for example blue carbon habitats so yeah i just that's from my experience you know uh it's it's absolutely vital, you know, and and we need to do all that we can for our for our friends in the territories. That's fantastic. And if we want to, uh, you know, keep up to date with what the Marine Conservation Society are up to, how can we do that? Sure. So we're very active on social media. So we've got an Instagram, Facebook, and a, a Twitter site. So do check out that. I'll happily share details of that um and we've also got um um i'll just share actually our our web page so we've actually got a uk overseas territories web page people can go on that and check out a, a bit about our different projects um we also we also do um blogs and um experiences of our field trips and we're also going to be having another community voice method film coming out of anguilla Oh, so, wonderful! I'll happily share that with you as well, Reem, and you can get get that out. But yeah, a lot of us, a lot of our outputs are on the websites and also on social media as well. That is amazing, Amdeep. Thank you so so much. That's Amdeep from the Maroon Conservation Society. You are absolutely incredible. The work that you guys do is absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and let us know a little bit about the the fantastic work that you guys do thank you thank um, you i'm gonna do my job as the events coordinator and update you all also on our upcoming events um at fotbot um many of you joined us last thursday at the college of arms evening tour and supper that was great uh, i think most of us had um uh, really really enjoyed that event and it was great to sort of see the impact that sort of you know the College of Arms itself has sort of had in, in, in the overseas territories and uh, with the development of those particular arms as well. Um, on the 2nd of October those of you that are at the uh, Conservative Party conference will be having a reception there. On the 28th of October um, we have a northern reception in the Love city of York and on the 30th of November our big event of the year the Christmas gala dinner um so please do attend if you guys are around um in London as well that should be a fantastic event uh, if you want any more details about our future events uh towards the end of this year then just go onto the website it'll be under the events tab and you can check those out thank you so much Amdeep and thank you to everybody who um came along to this event the recording will of course be on um various different podcast apps so if you would like to re-listen then you can obviously uh, have a look at that as well thank you amdeep and thank you everyone okay thank you reem thanks everyone for your time